the Holy Spirit is going to come because the apostles need him to come. They, they need his help. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Thank Brown. Thank you for tuning into the 75th episode of Working with the Word. We're back in the Gospel of John today, doing some OYA in John 16. Since it's been a minute, let's grab our bearings real quick with where we are in John. In John 1 through 4, we call this the period of consideration. Just really the thought of as Jesus is on the scene, we're learning from John with all these interactions of people who are coming to Jesus and having these moments with him, just this kind of, who is this guy? Seems to be a regular thought among the people who interact with Jesus. Then as we get into chapters 5 and 6, there's this period of controversy. Some of the people who are interacting with Jesus or seeing some of the things that Jesus are doing, especially some of the religious leaders, don't really appreciate all this hubbubaloo he's been causing. Things like healing on the Sabbath or some of his difficult teachings or other things that people just aren't appreciating about him. Which leads into a period of conflict in John 7 through 11. There are, we might call them some showdowns between Jesus and the Jews, as John using that phrase, were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, which kind of cultivates within the first half of the book into our period of crisis in John chapter 12. The triumphal entry that we're familiar with as Jesus enters Jerusalem means that Jesus' hour has come, where within the week, Jesus is going to die of crucifixion. He makes a final invitation to the audience and kind of the public in general to follow him, to trust in him, to consider his ministry and what he's doing. But right now we're in the period of conference in John 13 through 17. Before Jesus' hour does come in his death, John really slows down by focusing on some conversation Jesus has with the apostles, focusing on topics like love and service, the need for hope and peace and other type of characteristics, the coming persecutions that they'll face, as well as the coming victory they'll be experienced through Jesus as well. So here in John 16, we want to pay special attention to what Jesus has to say about his imminent departure from the apostles. He gives them instruction and assurance of the counselor or the comforter or helper, are mentioned in other translations, speaking about the Holy Spirit and what he will do. He also talks about his return to the Father and the feelings of joy and victory that are to come when that happens. Before getting into some of the interpretation application that we'll be doing in this episode, we strongly recommend that you read John 16 on your own, or you can listen to Emerson read it back in episode 68, around the 13 minute, two second mark to the 17 minute, 42 second mark. So as we pick up in chapter 16, we're actually picking up the last couple of verses from chapter 15. We're starting in 1526 and focusing there, picking up those verses because he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit there. It's going to connect to some of the things we see in the Holy Spirit in chapter 16. So we want to spend our first few minutes talking about this first half of chapter 16, chapter 15, verses 26 through 1615, where Jesus's focus is primarily on what the counselor, the Christian standard Bible, refers to the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that there's other words you mentioned this in the introduction, other words that are translated, different translations, helper, advocate, comforter, or intercessor. And this is one of those times when looking at different translations actually enriches our Bible study because we see that that this word can mean so many different things. And Jesus uses this word, and there's so such a variety of 
ways we can look at this. The point that Jesus is making when he talks about the Holy Spirit using that word is that the Holy Spirit's going to come alongside and he's going to stand by and he's going to help. Yeah. And I think that's really what Jesus is focusing on, kind of big picture. He talks about the counselor. also want to mention that Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit in chapter 14 a couple times. In chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and then again in verse 26, where he says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So this isn't the first time Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. But I think what Jesus points out in chapter 16 is that the Holy Spirit is going to come because the apostles need him to come. They, they need his help. He says in chapter 15, verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. So why is he telling them this? I think the first reason is because in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, he talks about how they're going to be persecuted. In verse 2, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. So Jesus is kind of preparing them for the rough times that are going to come. And Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this in advance. Know that the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and help you mm-hmm. during that time. The Holy Spirit is going to give them courage and wisdom to speak boldly. And what's interesting as we kind of move through this passage about the Holy Spirit is that there are a lot of connections yeah. to the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit uh, you know, features really prominently in the book of Acts as a testimony, as a witness to the things that are happening. And in connection to the apostles and the early Christians' persecution, I think it's interesting that we find this actually playing out in Stephen's life. In Acts chapter 6, verse 10, it says that the opponents were unable to deal with the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen was speaking. The Holy Spirit was with Stephen, giving him that courage and that wisdom to speak the gospel. And then chapter 7, we see him defending the gospel. We know at the end of that, that uh, is going to be stoned to death. But in verse 55, chapter 7, verse 55 of Acts, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory Mm -hmm. of God. So I think we see this kind of playing out in Stephen's life, that the Holy Spirit comes alongside them when they experience these persecutions. And it's interesting that the detail that Jesus gives here in chapter 16, verse 2, the kinds of things that they're going to experience. So that's one reason why they need the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus goes on to say in verses 5 through 8 that he's not going to be with them personally anymore. He says in verse 5, but now I am going to him who sent me. And he's going to talk more about that later on in the chapter. But what's going to replace mm-hmm. Jesus in their life? They're, you know, they're not going to know what to do. They're going to be twiddling their thumbs, wondering, <laughs> okay, what do we do now when Jesus is not there guiding them? They've been with him for three years, and he's kind of told them mm-hmm. everything they need to know and do. And Jesus makes the point that it's actually to their advantage that Jesus will go. Sounds kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? How Jesus is going to, he's going to leave them, but it's actually for their benefit. He says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. So they need to understand that the benefits of the Holy Spirit are great and that they are to be appreciated. Because if Jesus doesn't leave them, then the, the plan of God can't be fulfilled. Remember in chapter John chapter 7, verse 39, Jesus 
it's talking about living waters and John makes some reference to how the Spirit has not yet given because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Everything's happening according to God's plan, right? It's just playing out in, in this step-by-step format. And so they need the Spirit because Jesus is not going to be with them personally. And then the last reason I think we see in this chapter that they need the Holy Spirit is because they need guidance to, to testify to the truth and to preach that truth. So in chapter 16, verse 8, he says, And he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the, the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He goes on to give a little bit more detail about that. And in verse 13, he says, But he, the, when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And so they need this guidance to testify to the truth and preach the truth. And just kind of as a side note to this, it's interesting when you look at the times Jesus refers to the helper or counselor in these chapters in John, that three times he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. And I think that's an important phrase in chapter 14, verse 17, 15, verse 26, 16, 13. The Holy Spirit is characterized by truth because he reveals the truth mm, mm-hmm. as we see here. And so the Holy Spirit is going to testify as a witness to the truth. And alongside the apostles in chapter 15 of John in verse 27, Jesus says to them, you will testify also because you've been with me from the beginning. And so the Holy Spirit is going to be working with the apostles to testify and preach the message of the gospel and also to work through the miraculous signs that will accompany that in the book of Acts. And I mentioned that there's a lot of connections to Acts here. There's, there's one connection that stands out in Acts chapter 5 in verse 32. This is exactly what Peter is talking about in this, this message here. Acts chapter 5 verse 32, he's talking to the Jewish leaders who have arrested them and telling them not to preach anymore. And Peter says, we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so Peter's picking up what Jesus told them. Mm-hmm. We are testifying of these things. We're witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. He is also a witness of these things. And so again, you see that kind of playing out in the apostles' life in the book of Acts. And, and to kind of summarize all of this, Jesus promises to the apostles that the Holy Spirit will help them by doing three things. First of all, to help them remember Jesus' past teachings when he was with them. In chapter 14, verse 26, he says, The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is no way that Peter and James and John would be able to remember on their own everything Jesus said to them. And so they would need that help. So Jesus also says that the Holy Spirit is going to teach all truth in the present. Chapter 14, verse 26, he will teach you all things In 1613, he will guide you into all the truth. That's what they would need to do as they are preaching, to teach all things accurately, to to understand and reveal what the word of God is in the present. And then, of course, to complete this past, present, and future, Jesus also says in chapter 16, verse 13, at the end of that verse, that the Holy Spirit will disclose to you what is to come. And so they, they won't just understand truth in the present, but they'll be able to speak about things that are coming in the future. You think about the book of Revelation where John, uh, by inspiration, writes down the visions that he sees of things that would happen in the future. And so that's kind of a summary of, of the things Jesus says to them. I was about thinking about the some of the things you said a moment ago about how this seems so 
counterintuitive to them. I mean, they're probably thinking, you're right here. Why would we need something else? That's very on track, though, for I think that phrase we've used sometimes, Jesus saying Jesus things throughout this study, some kinds of Jesus is presenting his apostles something or presenting his disciples something and kind of challenging them with a little bit of faith, but also presenting them truth as well. And we'll see more of that in just a little bit. But all of this that we can look at it, having the book of Acts and maybe having the rest of the picture after Jesus' resurrection, we can see all this plays out. You just imagine for the apostles, just maybe how, like you said, confusing and concerning all of this is, but there's a big call for them to trust in Jesus here and look forward to, you know, I don't know what word they would have translated the word Jesus used was. I guess we have that benefit of, you know, it helps me to know that he is a helper or a counselor or a comforter, and he's not going to be mm-hmm. like the smackdown is coming or something like that. You know, it's it's somebody who's going to be <laughs> beneficial for them, and so they look forward to, to these things. And it's absolutely true yeah. that you see the Holy Spirit's work starting in Acts and continuing on through the rest of Scripture as well. So yeah, you think about the disciples not understanding what Jesus is talking about, and I know you'll you'll talk more about that, so I don't want to steal your thunder there, but you think about what we would be missing if we didn't have the book of Acts and really the rest of the New Testament. Yeah. None of this would make sense. The Holy Spirit wouldn't make sense. I mean, I guess nothing would make <laughs> sense to us after yeah. that. Uh, and so we're, we would be in that same position in particular, concerning the Holy Spirit, would we not have those connections that help kind of explain what Jesus is talking about mm-hmm. in this chapter? And and so I think one of the obvious application questions that we come across is, well, does this apply to us today as Christians? We're not apostles, and so does this apply to us? And I think we could answer that in two ways. First of all, I think part of this mm-hmm. does apply to us. I think this is an important point to emphasize because sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we almost give the impression, or maybe we actually think this, that the Holy Spirit is no longer active or even needed today. And I think that is just utterly false. I think the the Holy Spirit is just as active today as he was then, but not Mm -hmm. necessarily in the same way. Certainly not in the same way. I I should rephrase that. And, And so, yes, I think part of this does apply to us. Though we are not the original audience, we are the beneficiaries of what Jesus promises here. And not only that, but we see that as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit in us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul says that that we are given the Holy Spirit as a seal, kind of conveying the idea of ownership, and that in verse 14, he has given to us as a down payment or a pledge of the glories that we will experience when we're with him forever in a perfect sense, and so that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We also have the written Word of God, which is a part of the Holy Spirit's work. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, when Paul is describing the full armor of God, he says, take up the the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The written Word of God, even though it is written down in black and white, it is just as alive. The message that it contains is just as alive today as it was when it was first spoken. And so, And I heard someone describe one time the New Testament letters as just dead letters. And I think nothing could be further from the truth. This word that we hold in our hands is living and it is active. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to us through these words. And so we're the beneficiaries of these blessings. 
I think also when Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a helper, I think we see a sense of that even being true for our lives too. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, we see that the Holy Spirit helps us by interceding for us in prayer. And I don't understand how all that works out. Maybe we can save that for a discussion another time. But I do know that the Holy Spirit helps me (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I pray, when I don't know how to pray as I should. The Holy Spirit's right there, and that's certainly a comforting thing. So part of what Jesus is saying in these passages in John does apply to us. We can't just brush this to the side as if it's all not applicable to us at all. Right. The other side of that is that part of this is limited to the inspired apostles and prophets. In particular, this part about Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into all the truth. I think that is limited to the apostles. What Jesus is promising them is inspiration, that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you in your preaching and in your teaching and even in your writing, that you will communicate faithfully the Word of God. We know that the, the Holy Spirit is active in that process of inspiration in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I think one of the things that helps kind of give parameters or boundaries to this is in chapter 14, verse 26, when he says, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. That, that applies specifically to the apostles. When Jesus was with them for three years, again, there's no way that they'd be able to remember everything. And so right. Jesus there is promising something to the apostles and the prophets that, that we don't have today. We're not prophets. We're not apostles. We're not going to be inspired writers of the Word of God. And so in that sense, I think it, it's important for us to see that there is a that part does not apply to us today. I think that's important because when we talk about the Holy Spirit in us, that doesn't mean that He's constantly prompting us, working through our feelings or communicating to us through our feelings. Uh, that, that's not the way the Holy Spirit worked even in the first century through the apostles. It was always through objective means. And so last thing to say about this this question is one of the most helpful things for me personally, is to compare what Jesus says in John chapters 13 through 17 with the letter of 1 John. Of course, John as an apostle would have been present there when Jesus is speaking these things. But in 1 John, John is writing to a group of Christians who are battling false doctrine. He's helping them work through that. How do we know what is right and what is wrong? How do we discern truth and error? And what John does is he repeats some of the exact same themes that he heard from John chapters 13 through 17. In fact, some of them are verbatim, that this is a new commandment that you're to love one another. Right. He emphasizes that the world's going to hate you. You can pray in Jesus' name. You need to abide in Jesus and his, keep his commandments. So much of what John says here is, is found in 1 John, that letter. With the notable exception, John does not say anything about the Holy Spirit guiding those Christians into all truth. And I think that's a significant point. Instead, what he says to them is, you have the truth in, in 1 John chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. You have the truth, you need to abide in that truth. So, that's the way I would answer that application question. What Jesus says here to the apostles is, the Holy Spirit's going to comfort you, because I'm going to be gone, and you're going to need that comfort, you're going to need that help to, to go forward and continue the work that, that I started. And that brings us to the last half of this chapter, where Jesus is going to talk more about his absence and his return to the Father. Right, so this last half of the chapter, focusing on that particular topic, 
I noticed that my thoughts are very similar to the disciples as we read some of the opening verses here. In verse 17, verse 18, there are these statements of the apostles kind of conversing amongst one another as Jesus is talking to them. And he says something in verse 16 like, A little while and you will no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. And they're all kind of like, what? What's he saying? What does he mean by this? We don't understand <laughs> what he's talking about. There are sometimes reading this, especially the farther on we go throughout this chapter, Jesus says things and responds to questions or uses phrases. They're like, oh, I thought we did talk about that earlier. Mm-hmm. But getting into some of the things that Jesus does say here, using that phrase of a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, a little while, you will see me. seems to be speaking of his crucifixion and his resurrection. It's going to be a real roller coaster of emotions for the apostles over the next few days. There's going to be some extreme sorrow when Jesus is arrested, when they're watching their teacher go through this trial to be unfair and to be accused of all of this, and then even to die. And not just kind of like a, is this, he's going to do something great, they're going to watch him die on the cross, they're going to watch him be placed in a tomb, that stone be placed over it, and just the thought of, man, everything seems like it's over. He was talking about all the great things he was going to accomplish, well, things he could have accomplished, but now he's dead. But then there's going to come some extreme joy when Jesus does rise from the dead and when he does do what the Father has always had planned for him to do, to overcome death and to bring victory through all of that. He uses that great illustration of when a woman is in labor. It's extremely painful. But when a woman then gives birth, suddenly that pain subsides. Not necessarily that that pain is actually gone, but there's just kind of this explosion of joy and happiness when the baby is finally there and the mother is holding her baby, get to experience those first moments with her baby. Those hours leading up to that of labor, I, I won't say that that woman's completely forgotten that, but that pain is no longer sticking out in her mind. It's not significant in that moment. So when Jesus is resurrected, there's going to be no reason for their joy to be taken from them. He's not going to die anymore. He's going to live forever and is forever with them in their work. It'll be true that he's not with them physically, but thinking about even some things that Jesus says, like in Matthew 28, I'm with you always till the end of the age. There's some comforting Mm -hmm. thought there that, yes, Jesus is still going to be with them. So they should have reason to keep joy in their hearts. But post-resurrection, things are going to become a lot clearer. And thinking about what happens in Luke 24, 44 through 49, where Jesus helps them to see things from the Old Testament that were fulfilled in him. That idea that Jesus opened their eyes to see the truth about him and what's been told. We do our best to have those open eyes as we read our Old Testaments, but it'd be great to be with the apostles in that moment to have Jesus give us those answers. Absolutely. But we see before his ascension, there had not been a reason for them to pray or for ask for things in Jesus' name. There's this statement in verse 23, And that day you will not ask me anything. Truly I tell you, you will ask the Father in my name. He will give you. Until you have not asked me for, or you've asked for nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be complete. All of this asking, not asking, seems to be some things related to either the revelation they have or maybe just the thought about, you know, when they pray now, they do so praying to the Father. But they'll be praying. They'll be praying. I think we call that praying. They'll be praying in Jesus' name after his resurrection and after his ascension. Jesus knows the great pain and the great debt that he's about to endure, but he also knows the great victory that lies beyond all that he's about to endure. And that as he returns to his father, he's going to not just go back to his father in the sense of defeat having died, he's going to go back to his father in victory, overcoming death and overcoming sin and the works of Satan. 
And again, at this point, as you get to John chapter 16, verse 29 and verse 30, maybe I'm feeling a little bit like the disciples relaying to them. If I was with them in that moment, Jesus is explaining things. Okay, now I kind of understand. I get what's going on. We don't need to ask you any more questions. We trust you and we trust that you're doing the Father's work. But Jesus says, well, do you really understand what's going on right now? You know, I am going to make things clear for you, but in this moment, there's still some difficulties and some things that you need to understand. Yeah, I, th- I think that's really relatable for us as, as Christians, because there are times when we might say, oh yeah, I get that. And maybe we do. On some level, I think the disciples did maybe have a better grasp than before they had this conversation. But I wonder if there are times when Jesus looks at us and says, yeah, do you really get it? <laughs> you may get it now <laughs> on some level, but there you'll you'll understand later on. And so I think that that point is really relatable. Yeah. So he he doesn't necessarily cut them slack here. I mean, he tells them even some thoughts about how an hour is coming, you're all going to be scattered. And maybe think about some things that are said earlier about Peter and John 13:38 about him denying Jesus. Or we read in Matthew 26 verse 56 about how the apostles left him in the garden, a prophecy from Zechariah 13, 7 of the sheep will abandon the shepherd. I'm paraphrasing that verse there. But within all of that, he bookends that discussion of there's a lot of hard things. There's a lot of difficult things. It's going to get real intense moving forward. You're even going to kind of abandon me for a moment, but have peace. There's this bookend of peace or take heart, kind of some thoughts that are made in John 14, 1, John 14, verse 27. It's the idea of be courageous even amongst the persecution. And Jesus saying that I have conquered the world. I think within that there's some assurance of it's not I might conquer through if this plan works out the way I hope it does. But Jesus speaks in this, this sense of it's already assured. I have mm-hmm. conquered the world. And so hopefully they can take some of that sense of peace and courage and victory that Jesus has in his heart and knows is coming and use that through those difficult moments as Jesus will return to his Father. So when we ask at the end of our episodes, so what, we're always trying to ask, well, why does this matter to me? And that last point that you made about Jesus having conquered the world is what we want to end with our so what. Um, if if that's true, if Jesus has conquered and overcome the world, then then it's true that if we are his disciples, we will also conquer too. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, when Jesus is telling John to write to the church at Laodicea, he says, He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so, Jesus is not saying to his disciples, I'm, I've won the game, this is the end of the game for you. No, he's, he's saying, I've won the game, and you will win the game too if you persevere, if you overcome through faith. And that overcoming takes us back to John chapter 20, kind of John's purpose statement. John says that if you believe in the Christ, Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, you have life in his name. That idea of life is that of victory. We overcome, we conquer death and sin through the life that he gives to us. So it matters because Jesus has overcome, we also can overcome. So a challenge that we can do, something after looking at this text, is pray for God's patience in moments that we don't yet understand what's going on. 
Maybe we can be praying for the wisdom that we might understand, that we might live to see what's working on in this life or some things that are challenging to us. Or we might just simply pray for the faith and the peace that we need in those moments where we can't understand and we won't understand until we fully understand or before really we need to just trust in God say, you know, those having the answers don't really matter at that moment. So through reading this chapter, it makes me want to pray for wisdom, for peace, for faith, and just through some of those challenging moments like the challenging moments the apostles are in and are about to face here moving forward. Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. We're glad that you've jumped back into John with us. Encourage you to stay tuned for another episode next week when we will wrap up this section in John with Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Until then, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible or difficult passages you would like for us to cover in future episodes, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working with the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. It's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.